says this, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, we could stop right there, but not be me. We need a good 50 more verses if it's going to be me preaching. But here's the, here's the setup. We have tax collectors and sinners. We have people who are known to be sinful, to cheat, to deceive, to take advantage of. Um, people that the society, in essence, just hated. Now, I, have, I, I will say it's not the same as our government and our IRS, our IRS system. But I will say I have yet to meet a person when talking about taxes in the IRS who just gets all giddy and excited because they love them. So you can, maybe you can't understand to the full extent that they were being treated in Jesus's day, but you can understand this idea that they were not liked. Um, So on the other side, you had the Pharisees and and scribes. Here are the religious leaders. Now in Jesus's day, the um, religious system and the civil system were not separate. So when you talked about laws in in Jerusalem, laws in Israel, those were the laws that God had given us through Moses. So God's laws was civil law. In the United States, we separate those. Now, we, we understand that our laws are based on God's laws. But in our country, we, they, they try to maintain a separation between uh, religion and state. And, and that always causes controversy from here to there and time to time. But we, we, we view those in our mind as separate. The church and God, and we view going to court, we view those as distinct, separate things. But in Jesus' day, they were the same. These scribes that we're talking about, in, in essence, would have been the lawyers in, today's ter- in our terms. These were the ones who studied God's law and would give explanations of God's law in the same way that today our lawyers study our United States laws and try to give explanations of those laws and use those laws to show this is how things should be or not should be. The scribes were the, in Jesus' day were the lawyers that you would go to who were very studied on God's laws, who would explain and tell what God's law said. So here you had tax collectors and sinners on one side and you had Pharisees and scribes on the other. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining that Jesus welcomed sinners and ate with them. So he told them, so Jesus told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Just let that sink in. See, if you're like me and grew up in the church, which I believe the majority of us have. I can't, you know, I don't know everybody's story, but the majority of us have grown up in the church. These become familiar passages. I've heard them over and over. I know what it means. But we need to take time to let it soak in. That the God of the universe 
The God who created the stars and the galaxies and the worlds, the planets, who created us, who we then rebelled against Him and sinned against Him. Everyone here, we rebelled against God. That He feels this way about us. This is how God feels. This is His heart towards us. That when we as lost repent, when we turn from sin to God, that the angels in heaven rejoice. Rejoice. So what does that mean? It means that angels in heaven at least know what's going on here. That's kind of a a neat thing to think about. They rejoice when we turn from sin. Why? Why do they rejoice? Why is it such a big deal? Why are they not in heaven saying, you know what, God? You made us and we didn't turn from you. We didn't rebel against you. They did. Why do you even fool with them? Why are we so busy having to send messages to them? Why are you giving us so much to do for them? Have you ever felt that way about somebody? I've always done the right thing. I, I was there, and we'll get to it, but, but, but the prodigal son, the younger brother and the older brother, they're the ones that goof up and cause all the problems and do everything wrong. I've always done what I was supposed to. Why are you even fool with them anymore? The angels could take that approach. But why don't they? Why do they rejoice? Because of what's at stake. See, we get sucked into the here and now. And we lose track of what's to come. We get sucked into life as it is now. And we lose track of of what we have to look forward to. So let's just take a second and think about what we have to look forward to. You've heard me say it many times. If you know someone that you love that has passed and and has, has died, has gone on before you, if you know that they place their faith in Jesus Christ, which is the only way of salvation, where do you think they are? What do you think they're doing right now? There's lots of people who have opinions. Some people think, well, they're asleep. There's the soul sleep. They don't know anything until Christ comes back. Well, that's not what Paul said. That's not what I believe the Scripture teaches. Paul said to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. Where are they? Many people think, okay, well, you know, we die and heaven's in the sky and there's clouds and we get wings and we play harps and we float around on clouds. If we're lucky, maybe uh, somebody will be feeding us grapes or something. I don't know. I mean, you just... There's all kinds of things that people think. But that's not what the Bible teaches. God created angels and God created people. People don't become angels when they die. You don't get wings. I mean, it'd be really cool to have. Really cool to have wings. And, and maybe, and, and we'll get to it later, but maybe when, we create, when God creates the new earth and we all start over, we, you know, I saw a YouTube video. Y'all going to hear me say that a lot. I saw a YouTube video of a guy on a jetpack crossing the English Channel. You know how fast he was flying? So the jetpack is this thing he stands on with his feet, and he has two handles to hold on to, and the jets are under his feet. And he turns the thing on, and it picks him up in the air, and he leans forward. What are those things called with wheels that people lean forward and they they drive? Segways. It's kind of like that. 
So he leans forward like a Segway and it just propels him forward. And you can go faster and faster and faster. You know how fast that man was flying over the English Channel? He was 50 feet up above the water. I guess in case, you know, flying fish or a whale decided to jump or something. He, he stayed 50 feet up, but still you got to worry about birds. <laughs> over 100 miles an hour, that joker flew across the English Channel. 100, I don't know what it was, 120 miles an hour? Over 100 miles an hour with a helmet and leather clothes like you see riding a motorcycle. And think, Mr. Seagull comes along. No, that's not for me. But I believe when God recreates the heavens and the earth and we start over and we have all eternity, I believe we'll invent new stuff. We'll make new things. And so I believe one day I'll have wings and fly. But it won't be because I turned into an angel. What do we have to look forward to? Where are they? The scripture says... Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, I go away to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many rooms, he says, and I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will come again and take you where I am. He's going to prepare a place. And he said in his father's house, there's many rooms. So in essence, the context is he's going to prepare a room for you. He said, well, it must be one big house. Well, then we read in Revelation about the holy city, Jerusalem. You remember, you know, talking about streets of gold and gates of pearl. That's this holy city, Jerusalem, that's in heaven right now. A real place with real rooms where real people live, where Jesus is and God is. And people that we love who have passed and gone on before us with faith in Christ, they had a place prepared for them in this actual city. The scripture talks about the length of the walls of this city. It's a big, big city. And who knows how tall it can go. God can build skyscrapers way taller than we can. And I know that's sad to some people who are really like me, who love their acreage and country folk. I know I live in the city of Yatesville, but this ain't no city. (laughs) When God calls me home, he will take me to an actual room, an actual place he has prepared for me in an actual city in heaven where he lives. I will be an apartment dweller. I will have roommates. And I'll love it. Only on the other side of this life. I will love it. And we will have fun. We'll joke. We'll talk. We'll eat together. You know, Jesus said that he's going to prepare a banquet and that you're going to come and sit and eat with him. You ever had a really good meal? You're Baptist. I know you have. Have you ever had a really, really good meal where you sat and enjoyed the company? You laughed. You talked. You cried because you laughed so hard. You just really enjoyed being there and eating with them. And just think about that. And you have not experienced that to the extent that you will in heaven. You will sit at a table with people who will have stories to tell. And you will not sit down and say, oh no, here they come. Here they come. Let's just get through this meal Everybody be nice. Let's just get through this meal. Don't say anything rude or you'll regret. There won't be none of that in heaven. 
None of it. And then Revelation says that when God creates the new heavens and the new earth, that holy city Jerusalem will come down in the sky with him and be placed on the new earth where God himself will dwell and he will be our God and we will be his people. And so the last two chapters of Revelation is a restoration of the first two chapters of Genesis. God's going to recreate everything the way he originally intended it in Genesis 1 and 2. And so when you think about people and you think about that eternity, you want people there with you. You want people there. You want people to be saved. You want a perfect life from here on out. You want as many people as will come. And for some of this, for some of you, this is going to be hard to hear, but it's true. Even the people on earth right now that you cannot stand, that you loathe, that you hate because they hurt you and they hurt you deeply. You don't realize it yet. And I hope you do before you pass on from this life. But you're going to want them there too. You're going to want the Holy Spirit to have changed them and made them into the men and women God designed them to be and spend eternity with you in perfection. And you will not be bitter and you won't be holding grudges and wishing they hadn't made it. You will be glad because the Holy Spirit can change anybody. He changed me. And for most of you out here, I can confidently say, I know he changed you. He can change anybody. And so when the angels who look at us and say, look what they did to our God. Look what our God had to do because of their sinfulness. They don't look at us and say, I wish God would have just wiped them all out in the flood. They look at us and say, I really, really, really want you to be saved. Really bad. Really bad. Their heart is aligned with God's heart. And it is my desire that all of our hearts align with God's heart. That we would desire all people everywhere to be saved. Luke 15, 8 through 10. Or what woman has ten silver coins? If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Angels rejoice when we turn from sin to God. They rejoice. And then Luke fifteen eleven through 32, he also said to them, story of the prodigal son, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. 
After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter and let's celebrate with a feast. Because a son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told them, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Who was the context? Who was there listening when Jesus was preaching? The, the tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees and scribes. And the Pharisees and scribes were upset that Jesus was eating with the tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus tells this parable and includes everybody in it. He said there's a father, God. There's a a, a younger son who goes off and squanders his life in sinful living. The The tax collectors and sinners. But then there's the older brother who is angry that, that we're even associating with them. That we're, we're giving them a second chance to come back. To restore them. To give them back everything that they gave up and lost. The Pharisees and scribes. And Jesus is rebuking them in this prophecy. I mean in this parable. Saying that God. He, he, he loves us. And his heart is so loving. He loves us so much. That no matter how sinful we live. No matter how much pain and sorrow we bring him. He's always ready to give us a chance to restore us. And not just to restore us as slaves. Because that's what the younger son said. He was going to go back to the father and ask. Just make me a slave. But let me be a part of your estate. Your household. But God doesn't do that. He restores him. He cut him off when he said, I've squandered, I've sinned against you and God. You notice that when he was talking to the father, he never got to say the last part. The father cut him off and said, no, 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 no. I'm putting a ring on your finger. I'm putting sandals on your feet. I'm putting a robe on you. I'm making you a son again. Because that's what it signified. When you had a ring, when you, that meant that you had the authority to stamp and approve documents. You could do business transactions on the family, on the family farm, the estate. 
He didn't just bring the son back in and say, well, you lost everything. You threw it all away, but I'll just, I'll just let you live here and take care of you. No, he gave him a ring. He established him back to full authority as a son. He could now trade. He could sell. He could do anything he wanted with that ring. And the older brother was furious. All the pain that he put them through. And now the father's going to give him what rightfully belonged to the older brother. And that was the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees. They didn't love. They didn't have a heart of love for sinners. But God does. And now it's up to us. Do we have a heart of love for sinners? Say, yeah, the ones I want to have a heart of love for, but not the ones who've hurt me personally, just the ones who've hurt other people. I'll give somebody a second chance if they have hurt other people, but I'm not going to give them a second chance if they've hurt me. Who did they hurt worse? The older brother or the father? Who did the younger son hurt worse? He hurt the father worse. But the father was willing to fully, fully forgive. The older brother was not. Do we have the heart of God? Are we willing to forgive when it hurts? Are we willing to forgive trusting that God will make things right. Because this is how God's going to make things right. You ready? Either they're not genuinely going to repent and give their life to Christ, in which they will be separated from the Father for eternity. Or they will genuinely repent and give their life to Christ, in which the Holy Spirit of God Himself will change them, make them new, just like He did with us. Either way, we have to trust that God will do what's right. And we have to learn to forgive like God has. Otherwise, me and you would be in a whole lot of trouble. Because God didn't have to forgive us. We're the reason His Son had to die on a cross. He didn't have to forgive us for that. And if you know somebody and they're the reason for your child's painful, excruciating death, it'd be similar to that. God didn't have to forgive us. The only reason He did is because He loves us so much. He loves us. Do we have the heart of God? If not, pray for it. That's what I've had to do in my past. I've had people that by the world standards would say, you don't have to forgive them. And I didn't want to. But I started praying. God, give me a love for them like you have. And this is what I always prayed. Father, make them into a more faithful follower of you than I am. And that's what I prayed every time. And it was hard. And I don't know if I meant it when I started praying it or not, but I I, I wanted to mean it. And over time, 
I was able to forgive. I was able to let go. And I'm not bitter anymore. I don't lay around bitter anymore. I'm not holding grudges. It's not eating me up anymore. You know how people say the only person you're hurting is you? There's a little truth to that. It's not, that's not the only person you're hurting because when you carry around bitterness, you hurt everybody who comes in contact with you. But there is truth to that. When I was able to forgive and let go, I felt free. God forgave us when he didn't have to. And he's commanded us to forgive when we don't have to. We got to pray that God gives us his heart. Let's pray together. Father, we don't we don't truly understand why you love us so much. We know from the scriptures that you do. But the more we understand about ourselves and the more we understand about you, the harder it is for us to understand why it is. Why is it that you love us so much? But Father, even if we never fully understand it, Father, we're thankful and we're grateful. We appreciate your love for us. And Father, every one of us does not deserve to spend eternity with you. We don't. Every one of us has sinned. And by sinning, we don't deserve to spend an eternity with a perfect, holy God. But you want us to. You want us to spend eternity with you. And so you knew we couldn't make a way to, to make things right. We couldn't figure out a way to, to earn our forgiveness and make things right between me and you. How could we? We're the reason you had to, to pour your wrath out on your son who died an excruciating death on our behalf, who didn't deserve to because he lived a perfect life. How, how could we make things right? How could we make that right? We can't. But Father, you did. And we're thankful that you did. And so Father, we just, we just want to be different. We want to be a part of your family. We want to be like you because there is no one in this universe who better fits the description of somebody we should be like. If we could be like anybody, we want to be like you. And so, Father, we know from the Scripture you have poured out your heart to us. The Scripture says that you don't desire that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance, is what you said in the Scriptures. That you take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Father, you desire all people everywhere to be saved. And so, Father, we ask you to give that same desire to us, even for those who have extremely personally hurt us. Father, we ask you to give us that same heart, to be able to pray and to mean it, to be able to pray and mean that we forgive them, that we desire for them to be saved and changed by the Holy Spirit, and that we actually desire that you would cause them to be more faithful followers of you than even we ourselves are. We saw you do it with Paul. We saw you take a man who went around, persecuted and killed Christians and turn him into the one of the most faithful apostles in the Scripture. Father, we know you can do it and we ask you to do it. But even if it doesn't happen, even if the person who hurt us never changes, Father, give us the ability to forgive on our end, 
to let go of the pain and bitterness and trust you that you will do what's right. Father, we love you. Give us your heart. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and join me for this last song? Amen. So glad to see all y'all today. Glad to see a full house. And I, I, I pray that you have a wonderful week. I pray that God just blows your socks off this week. That uh, he changes you from, from the inside. He stirs you in the Holy Spirit. Just tugs on you and pulls you and, and leads people to you. That you can just share that word of love and that message of love with them. That God loves them so much and desires to see them come back whole, fully embraced to him. Um, Todd, would you close us in prayer?